going to um, talk about the last uh, few things on that boat that uh, we've been looking at for the last while, which is the leadership conference, that w- the leadership weekend at the- at uh, Cedars. And um, the, the the group that was there put all these things in a boat, saying this is what we want in our boat, and uh, this is what we don't want in our boat. And the last two that we've we've looked at unity, we've looked at um, I can't even remember now. What do we look at? Love. What did we look at? Faith. Unity. Love. Humili- we looked at humility. There we go. It's all on the. You know, I'm sure it, you, can, you can find them on the on the, the the web if you want. But today we're looking at uh, very cool two that we want to be part of this church, and they are. Hello, Leoba. Welcome. Um, you know, we do have a high value, and, and I thank you for those testimonies. There's a very high value in this church for letting people be here wherever we are. Um, if, you, you know, if you're totally messed up and your life isn't together, then you fit right in. If I've modeled anything, it's hard to be dysfunctional, and God can still use you. Um, and that's a joke but it's actually also serious because when you get close to anybody you go how can God use you and one of the things Satan does is he gets really close to you and says how can God use you and all you go is because he loves me so deal with it because I needed a saviour because he went to the cross for my sins so I can ask forgiveness so I'm forgiven so what's your problem with me you can get real cheeky, but you have an authority to because it's called grace. And very often our understanding of grace is, is pretty pathetic. It's weak. It's not very powerful. It's not very. It, it, it's not a revolution. And actually it's also a revelation, God's grace, which means he loves us right now, wherever we are. He doesn't say get cleaned up and then I'll love you. The revelation is he embraces us when we're in our worst position. And some of us say, well, I embraced them once before and they just ruined it. So I'm not embracing them again. And God will always look at us and say, and what do you think I did for you? You little self-righteous twip. How's that? Uh, what, that's not in the notes, actually. That was just total in it, totally anointed. So what I'm talking about is truth, because we wanted truth in this church, and we wanted truth. And so you take out of the boat lies, and we also wanted wisdom in the boat. So you take out of the boat foolishness. So I'm going to talk about a toonie. One side is truth. It's a coin. One side is trust. Uh, but one side is truth. One side is wisdom. And the substance that holds it together is trust. And none of it is magic. None of it is something that just falls out of heaven. It's something that's actually in deposited in us and then we have to work out and work through. I'm, you know, it's it, it's sad, but actually today in in our culture right now, truth has become a very very difficult thing to talk about. 
it's become very politically uh, volatile, which is amazingly sad. Jesus came into the world and he grew up and he began to do ministry and eventually again and again he would say, if you want to know truth, then come to me because I am truth. Truth is a person, that person is Jesus. In fact, everything we talk about ends up like that. Everything ends up at Jesus saying, I am the fulfillment of this. And so we look at truth and we try and define it and it becomes subjective and people now say, well, I read it on the internet and I, and I saw it on a YouTube video, so that's my truth. Truth is whatever feels good to me. Or truth is whatever I'm really serious about. Our understanding of truth is probably very, very thin, very weak. We are very arrogant in our culture right now. We're unteachable. I had this experience, this is my truth, and that's what I'm going to live by. And it falls under any pressure. And as soon as it falls, we blame. But we have a very superficial culture. We're very arrogant, we're very difficult to teach. Because we all have opinions, because now we all have access to information. The only problem is we don't know how to screen information. We do not, ha we do not have the, the tools to assess what is true and what isn't because we don't have the experience or the knowledge to actually put them together. So what we do is we just say, that sounds like what I think. So I'm going to take that one. I'm going to write an article this week. I got it in the shower on Saturday morning. No, Friday morning. I've it's going to be called Spiritual Quilting. And I'm not going to tell you any more about it. Um, how do you assess truth? And I'm only going to mention this name once, and that is, if I mention Trump, that's the truth. You're, right? I'm, you're waiting for it, so I'll give it to you. Um, but I'm not going to go there because it's not worth it. Um, you see, truth doesn't need to be defended. I remember, and I'll name, I might as well name drop another name, which is the better name. It's Oxford because everybody thinks you're smart if you've gone to Oxford. So you could sweep the streets in Oxford and say, I was in Oxford for three years, and they go, oh, you must be brilliant. Uh, you're not actually, they're just human beings there. Some of them commit suicide because they can't stand the pressure and others, you know, it's just, it's, it's like that everywhere in life. When you go wherever you go, you end up finding they're just human beings. Um, now I can't remember why I mentioned Oxford. Because I was there? <laughs> no. But Jesus, Jesus comes and he reveals truth. And so I just wanted to point out a few verses. You see, when, when we read, this is, I often use this in funerals, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. When Jesus says, I'm going to come and back and take you to be with me, he's not saying, I'm coming back when you die and you're going to come to me. He's not saying, I'm going to drag you over there. He's saying, the whole revelation of this is that you have a past, you have a present, and you have a future. So you don't have to be afraid. 
So he says, I don't want you to be sitting here terrified of when you die. I want you to know that you'll have a place beyond death that is a room that is, ma- is, is, is magnificent. It's, it's, it has your name on it. And I still think one of the things that is, you, you, each of us has a room. So there are a lot of rooms in heaven that might be, have been boarded up and gone, never accessed. But I also think there's room, there's your room and my room in heaven is there now. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in it. And as soon as you come to Jesus, the door is open. And they say, whenever he asks for something, just give him stuff. Because he can have it now. And it's going to be awful if you get to heaven and they, they have to unlock the door. And you go, oh, this is my room. It's lovely. It's full of stuff. And he said, this is it's sort of bittersweet because all of this was available to you. But you never asked. And you go, well, I never knew. I said, well, you never listened. And you never believed. And you kept wanting what was in somebody else's room. God says, all I have is yours. So when he says, I have a room prepared for you and I'm coming to take you to be with me, what he's actually saying is, from now on, you're never going to be alone. From now on, you're never going to be alone. We're going to travel together. And I will give you all you need for every day of your life. So learn how to walk with me. Learn how to be in my presence because in my presence is light. In my presence is bread to eat and sustain. In my presence is a revelation of truth. What's the essence of truth? The essence of truth is quite simply that it is true whether I believe it or not. Truth is not dependent upon me. So I sometimes joke with people and say, well, I don't believe in God. And I say, well, he believes in you. It's actually not about you. So that's fine. He doesn't need you to believe in him. Gravity is true. We, we always talk, you know, drop the coin. I've done this thousands of times over the years. It always drops every single time. When I'm in a good mood, bad mood, Africa, England, it drops. I don't believe in gravity. Who cares? Jump off a roof in faith. We laugh because it's stupid, but we live like this all the time. I don't believe what you're telling me, so I'm going to ignore it. Have a nice life. We, we are, how many of us have to learn by experience? Okay, I, yeah, I mean, half of us should stand up and go stupid. Why would you have to learn by experience when you can learn from other people's experience? Now, actually, we need both. Because we need our experience to verify and make it real. But there's a humility that's required that actually says, I listen to other people and I learn from other people and their experience is important to me, particularly if I respect them. But we also live in a culture where we don't respect anybody. I'll come back to that in a minute. This is a good news talk. It's not good news if you think you are the way, the truth and the life. So Jesus said, come to me, I am the way, the truth and the life. So everything has to actually follow the test of where is Jesus in this. 
Some of us take pride in the fact, well, I don't actually talk to Jesus very much, or I talk to him. Do you ever read the scriptures? No, I don't read the scriptures. I just have this lovely relationship, and it gives me words and dreams and visions. And you go, how do you know those are true? How do you know they're from God? Oh, I just believe. I feel it. It feels so authentic. And I go, yeah, I can tell you experiences in my life that were absolutely out to lunch that felt like that. They were true for me in the moment, but they weren't true in terms of bringing life. I mean, the last thing I would use as my own presence and my own being as the ultimate reality of truth. I wouldn't go near that. My momentary truth might be totally real, but I wouldn't say it's a thing that I would want to share with the rest of the world as being something you should base your life on. Whatever I experience, I have to find another place to say this is true and I've experienced something of it. It doesn't rest in me, but this is the revelation I have of this truth and ultimately that revelation is always Jesus. The reason we have so many problems and the reason why we sometimes are washed backwards and forwards as it says in James is because we do not take the time to even contemplate truth. Because to find truth means you have to go on a journey. You have to go on a journey into yourself to know who you are and who you're not and what you've become and where you still have to grow. That's humility. You also have to use the mind that God's given you and you have to actually read the scriptures. You have to find out who God is. How did God reveal himself in this person, Jesus? What is Jesus like? What does he do? What, how does he think? It's why we need teachers. It's why when we have a course like the Freedom Course, this whole church, should be, we, we should be saying, there are 40 people coming, 50 people coming. Why? They're hungry. But we kind of go, I don't have time. Busy. Busy, busy, busy. And I've said for years now, i said, you know, the, the problem in the Christian church is that you get to the place where the issue isn't the non-Christians, the issue is the Christians who have become so superficial it becomes so like the world. You see, the thing that happens with Christians is, I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it one more time, it's like we spin plates, we, have, we get so many things in our life and we never give anything up and so we end up not having time. And it's very respectable. It's just that you won't get to truth that way. Truth is like mining. You have to dig for it, you have to search for it, then you have to process it, reflect on it. So Jesus says to his, and, and this is how he, he, he spoke to his disciples. If you actually look through his journey with the disciples, you'll see it's a journey of truth and revelation. And yet we think that we don't have to have this journey. The journey with Jesus and the disciples was in the flesh, on the road between Jerusalem and Galilee and around that region for three years, day and night. The essence of my little thing I'm going to write on quilting is really we cherry pick. So instead of journeying for three years, we just pop in and out as is convenient. Then we wonder why we're so distorted. Those disciples in three years had a lot of time to both be revealed to Jesus and to also see Jesus revealed to them. It happened through the flesh, brothers and sisters. There are more people outside the church in Port Alberni who believe in Jesus than there are attending church. They're all outside the church in Port Alberni because they are offended. 
and they all have good reasons in their minds for why they are offended. The truth is their offense has actually revealed some of the areas in their lives that they need to grow up in. The reason being because we're all messed up and if we spend any time with each other we're going to find a reason to withdraw and say, you just irritate me. And Jesus comes alongside and he says, remember I said I'd take you to be with me? I'm with you now and that person is my daughter and my son and I don't like the way you're trash talking them. Well, they make me so, and he says, so do you make me, so deal with it. Or let's deal with it together. If you want to see spiritual growth happen, you want to see Port Alberni taken for Jesus, then for God's sake, stop being so precious and start actually walking together through thick and thin and lots of us have done that and I commend us. The thing that's killing Christianity in the Western world is just our lack of ability to walk through the hard stuff. Truth is revealed in the hard stuff. Truth is revealed. And what is truth? It's what are you made of? What do you really believe? How deeply do you really love? How humble are you really? How much do you really believe in the words of Jesus when nothing around you looks like it's coming true? It's why we need one another. I need a testimony from somebody who's been where I'm going because I don't know how I'm getting there, but they have and they're going to say, hey, I was like that, but this is what God did and so I get strengthened and I go, oh, I can, I can carry on on that one. Everybody needs one another. The person who feels most insignificant in this church, in this room right now, we need you because we need your story and you need us. And we need to start seeing ourselves as gifts and contributors to a bigger picture than just our own little lives. Truth, you see from Jesus, is a big picture truth. It's not just little pieces. We tend to fixate on this part I want and this part I want and this part I want and Jesus says, I want it all. I could take you to Lee Abbey in North Devon where I was saying to God, this is what I want. And his agenda was totally different. I was so ticked off. I've got a lot of ticked off times as God. I should write a book, ticked off. That's a good phrase. Yeah, ticked off with Jesus. Got to find a bestseller somehow. Um, so these disciples in John 13 and 14, he's, he uses this quite a lot. Um, he's washing the disciples' feet. I mean, he just stood up in this meal and he started washing feet because none of them would. It's the custom of the day for a slave to wash the feet of those who travel. They're wearing sandals, they're dusty, so it's hospitable to have a slave wash the feet. Of course, they all together, they don't have a slave, so nobody washes their feet, so Jesus gets up and says, I'll do it, but he doesn't say, I'll do it, he just does it. And they go, oh shoot, wish that had been me. No, I should have done that. Now he's showing us up. And of course, Peter's the worst of them because he's going, oh my word, we how long have we been doing this together and we still don't? But I'm not going to wash James's feet. They stink. And John, he irritated me the other day. I'm not going to wash his feet. Jesus, I'll wash your feet because I'm sort of teacher's pet, but nobody else. A lot of us are like that. Oh yes, me and Jesus, we're fine. We're just everybody else. But the people who will hear you most and will see you most and will be most convicted of your witness to Jesus will be they're watching how you respond when they know you don't like that. So, 
My mischievous size, when you act out and you're full of offense, and if I'm the one who is offending you, I go, I was right, you are needing help, because look how offended you are at me right now. It's your issue. It's, it's very releasing. It's very liberating. God's used me to show you how imperfect you are. Deal with it. Anyway, Jesus washes their feet, and what does he say to them? He says to them, uh, John 13, verse... Uh, what is it? 16. Very truly I tell you, just in truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater. And he, he, sto- he, was, he was illustrating this all the time. You are the son of God and yet you're behaving like a slave, a servant. And time and time again we are seeing this. And he said, I told you truly, no servant is greater than a master. I come among you as a servant. As the Father sent me, sent you. It took them a long time to begin to hear that. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts me, and anyone I send, except who, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Very truly I tell you. A lot of what Jesus says is not, do you understand this? It's not, do you agree with this? It's just, look at what I'm doing, look what I'm presenting. This is truth in human form. The world is crying out for truth in human form. It looks like grace. It looks like servanthood. It looks like generosity. It looks like compassion. It looks like being friendly. It looks like being kind. It looks like being safe. It looks like being one with hope and no judgment. It's all relational. Everything is relational. If you want to avoid relationship, and be self-righteous like a Pharisee, then I've got the key for you. Argue over facts. Argue over scripture. Be offended by the behavior of others. Because all of those things leave you feeling a little smug. Just be careful though, because you do reap what you sow. And there will come a day when you will lose an argument and you will wish you had never uttered a thing. But you can't go wrong by being generous and kind and gracious. But you also can't be generous and kind and gracious like Jesus until you've allowed him to be generous and kind and gracious to you. You see, truth works from the inside out. You cannot give away what you do not have. And being a pastor in this valley for a long time now, I could tell you, I could go through this group and I say, you know what I'm talking about. You still are learning. We're all learning, but I could tell you. And you go, oh, that's very arrogant of you. You go, does a doctor know his patients? Does a teacher know the pupils? Does a pastor know the family? My greatest sadness as a pastor, it's so hard. It is so hard to help people grow who will not hear. It's one of the most distressing things in the world. We are so unteachable. It's not judgment, it's sad. Because you learn to see things. 
But so few people come and say, where can I grow? What can I do? What are you seeing? And I could give you illustration. I've been in this valley now for a long time, 30 years, where that could have been stopped and that took seven years for you to work out and we could have stopped in a year. And you could say that to me too, by the way. But we don't avail ourselves. Like Graham, I love Graham's cook thing, which he says, you know, so many people are looking for prophetic words, and I've said this before. They just need to talk to somebody who knows them. But that takes humility. Because sometimes we want to be special in, a, in the wrong kind of way. Jesus says, the, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And they found out that was the truth. One of them did betray. But they were so insecure, they said, me, me, not me, not me. They weren't sure who was going to betray at that point. Jesus said in verse 38 of John 13, he says to Simon Peter, very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, no way. What happens when Jesus uses somebody to tell you something like that? Do you have ears to hear? Or do you get offended? You cannot follow Jesus if you're going to be offended because the one thing that is absolutely guaranteed in following Jesus and getting to know God is that we're going to come up against who is in charge here and who is Lord and who are you and where do you need to be redeemed? Where do you need to have your act cleaned? Where are you getting away with stuff that's damaging you and other people? If you are offended every time that comes up, you're just going to stay an immature, noisy, irritating, somebody who calls themselves Christian. Nobody gets a free ride. Nobody gets a free ride. Nobody grows in maturity without being pruned. That's why I say there's seasons. So we need to learn to go, you know what, I don't like this, but I recognize it's needed. What we have to do is learn how to do it in a nice way. Look, I'm sorry this is going to hurt. Snip. Because God doesn't want to hurt us. He just wants to set us free to become all that we are created to be. But because we're so willful and we've got lost for so long, we've got lots of bad habits. So truth is not just about... You know what cherry picking is? It's the kind of God loves me, God forgives me, he's my savior, thank you very much. And you go, that's it? The truth is, how does this become ingrained in me? And that's when God and Jesus start saying, well, we've got to get rid of this, or have you ever thought of this? And so it starts becoming a relationship of redeeming and healing and rescuing. Are you somebody who gets offended easily? You know in your heart. You know how, how, how easy is it for you to learn a new thing. How easy is it for you to hear somebody um, say that they struggle with something about you. I mean, none of us like that stuff. I'm just asking though. Should be a clue to you about you, because the answer is why. I mean, I go to the doctor. I've just been to the doctor. I think I, might, I don't know if I told you or not, because I'm at this age now. You've got to go every day to see if you're still alive. And monitoring my, my blood pressure and, you know, uh, I'm almost hypertensive, but I think in three weeks I'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you ha but, but uh, consider this, you know, there's a, this doctor is a, a new one from South Africa. She's a girl who's probably 30 or something. And I said, 
She said, did you ever smoke? I said, yeah, once before you were born. And she said, I'm not that old. 1970, yes, you're right. But it's, it's very undignified having a 30-year-old girl looking at your prostate. But it's more undignified to have cancer and to not be treated. And I'm a great believer that the physical is a mirror, is a, is a springboard to the spiritual. All I'm wanting to say in that rather crude expression, <laughs> I want to say, when did you last have your prostate checked? But I don't know what the spiritual equivalent is. How undignified are you prepared to be to be what God wants you to be? How undignified are you willing to be? And this is an annual checkup. Like it doesn't go away. It's a principle. And the principle is if we do checks every day, oh, I can talk about the other undignified one, you know, of have you got colon cancer and then you've got to take a stool sample and all that. I mean, who knows? we shouldn't even be talking about that. But they're saying, well, you know, if you let us do a stool sample, then we can actually see whether you've got something going on and if there's blood and... So they explain it and then you do it. And they came back and said, I'm fine this week actually. But (laughs) I wasn't meaning to go into this kind of detail, but I'm trying to get your attention, which is life and the physical is messy. And there are many people here, you've had all kinds of things transplanted and implanted probably and all kinds of things going on in you, in your body. And yet when it comes to the spiritual you behave some, like some little princess. Oh no, I don't do that. I don't have that. No, you're not allowed to look at my prostate. And No, you can't do that. No. So how are you? Well, I've got cancer. I'm riddled with it. Why? Well, I wouldn't let anybody look at me. I guess we'll bury you early then. Chill out with your life. And let God work. And he's put people around you through whom he's going to reveal his truth one truth is that he loves you and the other truth is that there's work to do. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're next to me. You're part of my life. Let's look at this video quickly. This is a, this is a video about truth. It's called the red balloon. Some of you are not talking to the person next to you. Just do it in faith, brother. What have you two done up in the audio vision that's true don't worry just don't worry we won't start again you can turn it off now thank you got the point made the point yeah whatever anyway it's just the ridiculous thing but that's how we actually operate all the time well I don't believe you that's not my experience And I would just encourage us to actually value truth more than maybe we do. God went to an enormous amount of trouble to reveal truth to us in Jesus because we had got so lost. The problem with the Pharisees where they were talking about the Old Testament truth and the law, but they had lost the truth of the reason. So Jesus says, I have come to fulfill all that has gone before. And this is coming up to where we need to get to now because I need to stop this nonsense about whatever I'm talking about. 
what Jesus came to do was he's saying, you know, truth is not the whole picture. It's what you do with truth. So the other side of truth is wisdom. And Jesus walked through this earth totally infuriating people who were fixated on truth and he kept picking truth out their hand and said, that is true, but your application diminishes the people around whom that truth is meant to be built. You're beginning to use truth as a weapon to crush people when it's actually meant to be a gift to set them free. So the law was meant to help them find me. Instead, the law has become a box into which you get people to try and keep the law, but they never get to me, and you're keeping them away from me because truth has become an end in itself. So, all of the applications of Jesus working with people, the blind man shouting out and they say, the truth is Jesus is busy, stay away, and God says, Jesus says, the truth has come to me. What do you want? And every application of Jesus' healing is about truth. He is God, he is Lord, he is all things, being received by people. You see, it's easy to stand up here and just yak away. The issue is, what do you do once you stand down here, when you live among each other? And Jesus said the truth will set you free, but the truth is walking with Jesus among one another. And the truth is walking with Jesus among one another. As Paul and Silas said, we are just humans, but Jesus did this. And one of the things that I've advocated for many, many, many times is that we are just humans. You'd be amazed how much, Christ, how, much, how, how much Christian leadership resists that. I want you to see my gifting. I don't want you to know my humanity. And Jesus says, I believe both need to be revealed. Because when your humanity is revealed and your weakness is revealed, my glory is most powerfully revealed. Because other people say, well, if God can use him, there's hope for me. Wisdom is about how do you handle the truth? How do you handle what God has entrusted or what God has shown you? Wisdom should lead us to a place of incredible sensitivity to one another. And around wisdom, you see these all rotate around each other. You have wisdom and you have truth and then in the middle of it you have trust, which is relationship. And trust is about trust. Now, one of the things that's so interesting and depressing at times is people say, I mean, do you ever say, I don't trust them? I don't trust them. I don't trust them. So if somebody says to you, I don't trust them, ask them a question. Have you ever talked to them? No, I just know. It's rampant in this church and beyond this church. I don't trust you. And you go, do you know me? Have you ever had a conversation with me? Have you ever told me that you don't trust me? Have you ever given me a chance to explain where I am or what I do? We don't do that to one another. We just judge. And then we wonder why God doesn't move with power. Because truth is rooted, and wisdom is rooted in relationship, which is rooted in trust. Jesus gave to the disciples enormous freedom, enormous latitude, 
He entrusted things to them. He had no right doing because of what they were capable of or incapable of doing. But he was after a base thing. So at the end, what drew them to him was that he trusted them when that didn't make any sense. They failed. But what he was doing was he's saying, I only do what my father does. My father said, I've got to trust you, so I'm trusting you, even though I don't think you should be trustworthy. But actually, what his father was doing is saying, release them and trust them and watch what happens because actually the trust that you give them will come back. Let people fail as long as they come back. So trust is about, and this is the part that is linked with wisdom. You cannot, trust doesn't just happen. A lot of us are living at a a level that is so tight in terms of uh, our willingness to risk with one another. If you want to have trust, Paul says, I love this phrase, I've always loved this phrase of Paul, he said, open wide your heart. I have opened my wide my heart to you, but you will not open wide your heart to me. And you go, I will not open wide my heart to you because I got hurt the last time. You don't want to get hurt and stay at home in your room. But if you want to deal with learning how to not be hurt as much, then you have to work it out with Jesus in the context of other people. People are disappointing. People are unfair. People say things that are not right. People are cruel. People actually uh, gossip. They judge. They point fingers. They betray you. It's hurtful. But it doesn't have to take you out. If you're not willing to feel the pain, you will never go anywhere. Paul said, I open wide, uh, do you open wide your heart to other people? We have trust to the level that we open wide our hearts to one another. What we sometimes do is we just argue. Open wide your heart. What does that mean? Open wide your heart means be authentically who you are. Let people in. How can somebody know who you are if you never let them in? How can you have trust if you don't share your life? Trust isn't something that God just gives to you. It's something that you work out with Him and with others. It is the greatest thing of value and the thing that we need to actually ask Him to work on us most. Or or you play this game, I'm not going to trust you till you trust me. So you open open your heart first. All right, do it. What does open your heart mean? It means just let them know who you are. What do you struggle with? What do you like? What don't you like? When was it a hard time? When was it a good time? Why should anybody believe you if you never talk to them about who you are? What's so encouraging about these guys who come up for testimonies? I tell you one thing about people who struggle with addiction. They've learned how to be real to some degree. They're also really manipulative and deceptive like the rest of us. But there's also an honesty sometimes that's disarming. I'm going to boast about Faith Indian Ministry. It's an example this week. We've been saying, oh, we're going to keep on supporting this ministry and then some of us here say, we've got all the poor in Burning. we need to look after the poor. Why are we sending money all the way to India? I mean, who cares about India? Let's just look after Burning." And you go, well, I think God cares about India and he cares about Burning." And then we go, well, we've only got so much money, let's just give it to Burning." And God says, since when didn't I have enough? 
Maybe you can do both. So we look at Faith India and we look at Raj and he posts things on the internet and he shows us his little boy going to school and his little boy is going to school and he's all dressed up in nice clothes and he doesn't go to the same school as the orphanage. And then we look at the children and we say, well, they're not that many children. They're not as many as they were two years ago. So what are we spending the money on? So should we keep on supporting them and should we keep doing this? And they're building another church. I mean, they're planting another church and you know, maybe the money is going, what, are we, what should we do? You know, we better do due diligence again. So I send them a, a you know, Dear John letter, which is, um, Hi Raj, how are you? Um, now I've been to this place twice, Kodapali, and right from the beginning, uh, we've sat around tables and talked and I've said, I don't trust you. I mean, the first time he approached me, actually by email, I said, I don't trust you. You come from India and you're full of scams. And he responded. And we communicated by email to the point where I went to India with, uh, who did I go with? Jim, Jim Rook. And we went, you know, we could have been met by guns, but we met with his family that was so delightful. They gave us their rooms and they were so hospitable to us and stuff and said, this is real, actually. This orphanage is real. And then the next year I went with uh, Brad and Jan and with uh, Ken Siegmiller and uh, we spent 10 days there. And again, you know, we've sat around the table. I mean, they Brad's a soft touch. They nearly got some stuff from Brad, but that's it. <laughs> like, we, we need two mattresses and Brad goes in and they come out with three. And I say, why have you got three? You've just said two. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, send the one back. Brad, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> It's, a, it's beautiful. It's great. It's great. It's a, it's a, but all I'm saying, why I'm telling you that is because we've actually wrestled with being open from the beginning. So I send this note to Raj and I say, we noticed, you know, your kids, why isn't he at the school with the orphans? I mean, how are you misusing the money we're go- spending and all that stuff? And within 24 hours, I get this long letter back. Thank you so much for sending the note. Thank you so much for asking the question. I understand your concerns, but you know, when I put things on Facebook, it's only some of the children because the others are high school and so they're not around. Uh, my, my son, I work online. I do a few things online to raise some money so that he's only four or f- three or four and he can go to toddler school for two years. And so uh, that's what he does. And uh, I pay for that. And my, my brother, Rao's children go to the same school as the orphanage. And... Uh, we don't use any of the money. In fact, without Jericho Road, we wouldn't survive and yada, yada, yada. What is so incredibly humbling was that he actually responded without offense and laid it out. It is very unusual. I don't get that here very much. I'm serious. I don't get that here very much. I get offense. I get isolation. I get silence. I get gossip. I don't get an open response. Thank you so much for asking. I have said ever since I've been here, you can come into my office at any time, question me about how dare I be a pastor when I've been divorced. How dare I be this if I'm that or the other. I've said every single time my door is open and I've absolutely meant it because I actually value that. And I would plead with you, learn how to trust. As I said to Jan before the service, I said, imagine Raj sends us a note. And he says, I've been looking on Facebook and I've been looking at how you spend your money. And I've been looking at 
what you do with all you have. And I, we're just not quite sure we want to receive money from you. Imagine if you turned it around. And we would be, how dare you? You're not grateful to us. But actually, it would be a very good question. We just wondered how you, how you can face Jesus with the squandering of the resources that he's given you. Because it all seems to be about you and your houses and all your stuff. So I sent him a note back saying, your response is very humbling, but thank you. Because it actually helps us to actually support this ministry with integrity. And this ministry isn't just about meeting your needs in the orphanage. This ministry is also about this orphanage bearing witness to us of what people do with very little to make an impact. But you can't get there without trust without conversation and if you want to see yourself growing learn to trust more learn to risk more don't worry about being hurt being hurt is a sign of life 